fall. Yeah. It uh, always feels like coming home. It's crazy. It's going to be 10 years this fall that this thing has been going on. And I, I want you all to realize uh, how special that actually is. I know I say this every time I come. Um, man, there are churches that don't survive a year. Um, so to have this thing been going on for 10 years and the different faces that have gone through, the different leadership that's gone through, um, that, that's the work of God, in my opinion. So um, you're part of something that, that's, that goes beyond this. I got a handout coming around here. So um, go ahead and yeah, just keep passing it out. I'll get there. Um, it always feels like coming home. Also, um, my wife obviously literally grew up here. Um, but for a season of our life, we actually lived in that room right over there with our two kids. Um, so it was a really special place for us. We, we love the ranch, as we affectionately call it. Um, so I'm glad that you guys are here tonight. I want to talk to you about something tonight um, that may be one of, stay with me, one of the most least sexy messages you'll ever hear. Okay? Um, and when I say sexy, I mean flashy. Um, I, I mean, when I say sexy, I actually mean um, like just amped up. I really, I want to take any kind of the hype or amp and just kind of dial it down. Um, and I want to talk to you tonight about uh, a word called patience. Um, in the, the rundown of the fruits of the spirit, you see on, the, on your hand out there, at the top of, of your top of your list there on the side with the Bible verses, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 lists out the fruit of the spirit, right? So we all probably know that my kids haven't memorized because of the song, um, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. Um, this last, this last uh, kind of Christmas season, um, I really kind of had a good time diving into what's called Advent. For those of you that don't know what Advent is, it's kind of what we celebrate as Christians during the Christmas season. Advent actually means arrival. Um, so we kind of celebrate the arrival of Jesus to this earth, and then simultaneously kind of dwell on and think about the second advent, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ back to this earth to reclaim what is his, his bride, his, his world. Um, and as I was kind of thinking about this, I was kind of, I was just struck um, by this idea of patience and, and specifically the extraordinary patience of God in dealing with humanity. Like he is so patient towards us. It's unbelievable. I mean, if I was God, I'll be honest, I would have pulled the trigger on sending Jesus a lot earlier than he did. And if I was God right now, I would just send Jesus back right now. Get this thing over with, right? It's a good thing I'm not God because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but, but God is so exceedingly patient towards his people, towards the people he's created, towards his creation. And so I was just kind of dwelling on that, thinking about what does, that, what does that mean for us then? As his people, um, what does it mean that our God is a patient God? We, we all, you know, all the verse in Corinthians that's read at literally every wedding that we've ever been to. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not boast. We all know it by heart, right? What does that mean? Like, what does patience actually mean? Um, I have sm small children. You see them running around here from time to time, and they are like three of the most impatient human beings I've ever been around in my life. Um, and when they get, when they grow impatient, like, what is my advice to them usually? Be patient. That's not helpful, right? Just, just be, just be more patient. Like, what does that even mean? What does patience mean? And so, I kind of, over the last few months, have been kind of diving into this idea of patience and, and God's patience towards us. And what does that mean then for us towards each other, towards people who are both inside the church and both outside the church. What does that mean for us towards God? What does that mean as we live our daily lives? So um, I was thinking, I've never actually heard a message just solely focused around patience before. Maybe some of you have um, as a fruit of the Spirit. I've never actually um, heard one. So this is my attempt at one. We'll see how it goes. Um, I'm, I'm excited for this. So I want to do some theological work with you first. Um, then I want to get into some really, really, really practical things about obstacles to patience that I've seen in my life and that I've seen in our lives. Um, before I do that, can I just pray for us one more time, if that's cool with you? So Lord, we thank you um, again that we don't have to um, invite your presence here, but that you're already here. Thank you that we don't have to invite you here, but 
that you are here. And so our prayer tonight is that you would make us more and more aware of your presence here with us. God, that you would open our eyes to see you. You'd open our ears to hear you. God, you open our mouths to speak what you would give us to say. So tonight we're trusting in you um, to do a work that only you can do. Holy Spirit, only you can do the work of changing our hearts, of changing our minds more and more into the image and likeness of your, of your son, Jesus Christ. So thank you that you are here. Thank you that you are doing the work that only you can do. And as Jesus prayed in the scriptures, we pray that your kingdom would come here tonight, that your will would be done also here tonight on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you have a hand out there, and I want to start kind of on the side with some of the scriptures. I want to get into some Greek. I'm, I'm a huge theology nerd, so bear with me. Some of you are going to be like, this is awesome. Some of you are going to be like, what is going on right now? Just trust me, it'll, it'll get better. Um, but I read to you the fruits of the Spirit here, and if we're talking about patience, if we're going to gain any ground tonight, we have to understand what is patience, right? What, is, what does it mean when we see patience written in God's Word? Um, one of the best ways to do that is to read Scripture in context. So I'm committing a cardinal sin tonight. Um, by pulling a whole bunch of scriptures out of context and putting them on a page. So I want to encourage you, after tonight, go back and read these in context. Read the books, read the chapters that they're in. Um, if, I'm going to do my best to, to preach these faithfully to the text that they're in. Um, but I also want to go to the Greek, because so many of these words in our English language are just packed with meaning. Um, our English language is so limited. Like, it's so basic. Um, it makes me want to scream sometimes. Um, so we got to go back to what was originally written here. What was the author's original intent in writing some of these words? So see right at the top, um, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. So what is patience? What does that mean? It's a Greek word called macrothemia, which means long suffering, steadfastness, endurance, and forbearance. All right. We're going to keep on walking through this bit by bit here. Long suffering. So to suffer over a long period of time, right? steadfastness to stand firm, endurance to endure, and forbearance. We'll get more into that in a minute here. So there's a ton of scriptures on patience that I went through. Um, I could send out an attachment probably after this with with hundreds of scriptures on patience, but I kind of picked out some things here that have to do with patience. So let's look at the next scripture, Romans chapter 8, 22 to 25. Um, This is Paul talking. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only in the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, it means we have been saved, we have, the, we have the Spirit in us, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He's talking about being adopted as sons and daughters of, of Jesus Christ and the second coming of Christ back to this earth. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And this is a relationship you'll see over and over again in the scriptures, this idea of patience related with waiting. So what is waiting? What does waiting mean? Um, if you look it up in the Greek, it literally says to wait. It like defines the word by the, the same word. That's not helpful. Um, <laughs> so I looked it up in the dictionary, the Oxford Dictionary. This is what it says. It's a verb. Listen to this. Wait. To stay where one is or to delay action until a particular time or occurrence to be delayed or to be deferred, okay? So waiting, waiting with patience, okay? And we're going to kind of get more into this and how this idea of waiting with patience actually comes against everything that our culture tries to teach us. Everything that we see in this world, this comes against waiting with patience, okay? We're going to get more into that, but let's keep on going. Another word that we see hand-in-hand hand with patience quite a bit in scriptures is this idea of bearing with or forbearance. Ephesians 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 2 
with all humility and gentleness. Paul's teaching the church at Ephesus how to, how to love each other with patience, bearing with one another in love. Okay, bearing with, what is, what is this word bear? Um, it's a Greek word, again, called anakamai, to be patient with or to endure, right? So how, how do we then relate to each other in patience? We're patient with each other. We endure each other. How many of you have people in life that you just have to endure sometimes? Am I right? I love my wife. I love my marriage. Sometimes we just endure each other. Am I right? <laughs> sometimes she endures me and sometimes I just endure her. That, that's life. That's, I mean, that, that's what marriage is. That's what relationship is. That's life, man. We have sin. We're human. Sometimes we just got to have to endure each other in love and patience. Another word that we see along with patience a lot is this idea of endurance. So Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Endurance. What is endurance? A, word, a Greek word called hypom- hypomony, sorry, which means to stay, to tarry, to persevere, or to wait expectantly. So put it all together. What do we have? What is patience from the scriptures? What do we see? It means long-suffering steadfastness, endurance, right? Stay where you are. Delay action until a particular time or occurrence. To be deferred, to be patient with, to endure, to stay, to persevere, to wait expectantly. Now, I know this is not news to anybody, right? Like you, you're hearing all this, that makes sense, but it's important for us to establish this tonight. Understand what do we mean when we say patient? Because what I want to do for the rest of tonight is really kind of get into what are some of the things that I've noticed in my life and in our lives collectively that would try to hold us back from this fruit of patience? Before we do that, I did want to read Colossians 1, 11 through 13 and really firm up the ground that we're standing on tonight because this is what Colossians 1, 11 through 13 says. It says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Who is glorious might? His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So before we get into talking about how do we have patience, how do we develop the fruit of patience in our lives, we have to understand what is the ground we're standing on. So patience is not something that we stir up in ourselves. Patience is not something that we just work on hard over and over and over again. Patience is something that is a fruit of the Spirit. Anything that's a fruit of the Spirit comes from Him and not from us. Amen? So if we're going to any ground tonight, we have to understand the ground we're standing on is not our own ability to be patient, which is non-existent anyway, right? We're not standing on our own ability to, to cultivate patience in our lives. What we're standing on, number one, is the gospel. So we've been justified by faith in Christ through Jesus, right? So we're standing, we're forgiven, we're perfectly loved right here, right now. And because of that, we can be patient. Because we have the Spirit of God, who is the most patient being in the universe, we then can be patient. Does that make sense? So that's what we're standing on. So everything I say to you tonight, I'm going to give some practical tips. I want to say some things um, that are, will, will take effort by us. But all of that is in the context of God doing the heavy lifting in our lives, of God doing the work of changing us of, by his grace, of the Holy Spirit entering our lives and changing us from glory to glory, as Paul says in Corinthians, one degree of glory to the next, to the next, to the next, Okay. So that's what we're standing on, not our own ability, not our own. Some of us are maybe more naturally patient than others. Um, for my wife and I, I'm just more naturally wired to be a patient person. It drives her crazy most of the time. Um, <laughs> but just because I'm more naturally inclined to be patient does not mean that I get to take credit for that. 
does not mean that I've done anything to deserve that. It doesn't, doesn't mean I've done anything to cultivate that. God has given that to me. So every sing, for every single one of us, how is God calling us to be patient? So on this next page here, I kind of have three obstacles to patience. Um, three things that I, I believe that we become that cause us to be impatient. And at the bottom level, any impatience um, at the bottom, at bottom line is just a, a mistrust of God. It's just a misunderstanding of his character, of his nature, of what he wants to do in our lives. We're going to come circle back to that as we get through here. Um, all three of these becomes are I words. Um, alliteration is kind of helpful. It might be kind of cheesy for some of you, but if it's, it's helpful for me to remember these. Um, so there's three things that I see us becoming as a generation, as a generation of Christians in this world that are, that are holding us back, I believe, from actually achieving what God will ask us to achieve um, on this earth. So the first idea here, um, one, the first obstacle to patience is, is that we can become intoxicated. Wait for you to write that out, intoxicated. Um, I remember, I'm not sure if it's still a thing. Remember that, remember that magazine, The Elisha List, that used to come out, The Elijah List? That used to come out. Maybe some of you have no idea what that is, but um, what's that? Still comes out. Good to know. That's great. Elijah's still alive and kicking. Um, so it's an email, Elijah List email. You're right. Um, I, I love the charismatic movement. I, I, I'm a part of the charismatic movement. I kind of came back to Christ in the charismatic movement. Um, at the same time, I think those of us in the charismatic movement have to self-critique a lot. We have to be really careful um, as every movement of God that has come, right? So a lot of things I, I want to kind of bring some balance to. I want to make sure that you understand my heart. So a lot of the words that you used to see in the Elijah list or you, we love as kind of charismatic Christians are words like fresh, right? Words like new, words like anointing, words like giftedness, words like calling. You know what I'm saying? Like we love that stuff. Like God is doing a fresh and new thing. Everybody says amen, right? I love that. Thanks, Naomi. I will. God is doing a new thing. God is doing a fresh thing. You know, those are all wonderful, wonderful words. But if I, if I can, can I just bring some balance to some of those words? Words like fresh and new, okay? And I want to bring a balance to those. Not to say those words are bad. I believe those are really good words. But I, I would love for us as a generation to learn words like same and mundane and commitment, right? Words like pain, right? Words like perseverance. And I just keep coming back to this idea of same, this idea of same, right? Because my, my, my fear is, for many of us, is that we've taken what we would call the American dream, right? And it's kind of chasing this upward mobility, um, the next promotion in my job, right? The next thing, the this thing, next thing that's out there, the thing I'm kind of chasing, the, the dream that God has given me. Listen, dreams from God are a good thing, amen? I pray that God gives us all dreams and visions for our lives. My fear is that we become so intoxicated by our dreams that we forget to be intoxicated by the one who gave us a dream in the first place. Let me say that again. I, my fear is that we've become so intoxicated by our dreams that we forget to be intoxicated by that one who gave us that dream in the first place. So people who are intoxicated, right, people who are addicted to a substance, what do they do? They pull out all the stops to achieve that which what they are intoxicated with. So if I'm intoxicated with a dream or a calling, I'm going to pull out all the stops to achieve that, even if it means ruining my life, ruining my marriage, even if it's in the name of ministry, if it's in the name of serving the Lord, if it's in the name of, of saving souls, right? I can become intoxicated with ministry to a point, right, where I'm actually missing what God would want to do in my life. We become intoxicated with those things that God has good gifts from God that he has given us that we become intoxicated with, Right? I want to use a couple examples from the Bible. Um, some of the best leaders we ever see in the Old Testament, a guy named Joseph, right? 
So God gives Joseph a dream, right? And basically in this dream, Joseph sees that your brothers, your 11 brothers, he's the youngest brother, but God says, Joseph, your brothers are going to bow down to you one day. They're going to bow down to you. And what does Joseph do? doesn't say, tell us how old he is, but he goes and tells his brothers right away, hey, you guys are going to bow down to me, God told me. What do you think his brothers thought about that? I don't think so, buddy. I don't think so, buddy. Right? So Joseph had this dream. God gave him a dream. It was for real because it came true, right? But back up, Joseph is like, this is my dream. This is what God has given me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to chase this. I'm going to tell everybody about this. Right? Look at, um, look at Moses, right? Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh. He, he, he was a Hebrew, but he was growing up in the house of the Egyptians. And one day he's out walking and he sees an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew slave. And something kind of rises up in him. Um, and he, he just goes, he kills the Egyptian, right? He just murders him. And the, and the Hebrews actually turn on him. They're like, what are you going to do? You're going to kill us now? What's the deal, man? So I think Moses kind of knew he had this call on his life to, to liberate his people. Uh, but he was so intoxicated by it, he just dove into it without even thinking about it. So I wonder how many of us here tonight have this dream from God that he's given us, right? And that we, man, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm called to do. And I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to do it now. So this is, this is what I want to ask us tonight. So for all of these I words, I have a P word, actually, that's kind of a response to these. I know it's kind of lame, but go with me. So instead of becoming intoxicated by our dreams, I want to ask that we become planted in the mundane. Instead of being intoxicated by our dreams, I want to ask that we become planted in the mundane. And don't worry, Paul isn't paying me to say this, but I want to ask you even if, if you would, like our generation is known, honestly, for being a bunch of quitters. We are moving from job to job to job, seeing everything I'm doing as a stepping stone to what's greater. And that's what happens when you're people who's intoxicated by some dream that's out there, right? That's where I'm going. Nothing can stop me. Even if I stay in this job for three months and that job for two weeks and this job, this is where I'm going and nothing can stop me. But I wonder what would happen if we decided to, to plant ourselves where God has put us. And I, I mean that when I say plant yourself, I mean plant yourself like in a church, Plant yourself in a local church, whether that's at Lydia House, that'd be great. Whether that's North Heights, where that'd be great. Wherever you are, plant yourself in a church. Plant yourself in a home, in a family. Plant yourself in a community and watch what God does. Because what happens when you're planted in a community, when you're planted in the mundanity, is you actually, your focus is taken off being intoxicated by the dream. It's still there. God is still has a calling on your life. You're still going somewhere. That's not going away. What it does is it gets your eyes off of the dream and back on God. That's why, did you know that's why God actually designed the local church? That was actually the purpose of the local church is that we would be in the local church planted around people, pastors who are going to shepherd our soul towards the Lord Jesus Christ, elders who are going to care for us, who are going to keep us accountable, small groups of people, Bible studies who are going to point us towards Jesus Christ and him alone. That's why God gave us the church is so that we would be intoxicated by Christ intoxicated and doing everything we could, pulling out all the stops, not to get to our dreams, but to get closer to God and his heart for us, okay? So as we become, become intoxicated, right, um, what can happen is we start, our prayer life starts getting out of whack. So if I'm intoxicated by a dream, I'm gonna, all my prayers are usually gonna be centered around, God, give me that. God, you've given me this dream and I just wanna get there. God, would you get me there? Would you take me there? Would you give me what I need to get there? Would you equip me? Would you mold me? Would you get me there? Would you get me there? Would you, would you, me, 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 right? And instead of the model I see, Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before he goes to the cross, sweating blood, crying out to his father, saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. 
Instead of praying right prayers of intoxication, he prays prayers of submission. God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Take it. But not my will, but yours be done. And if we can move away from praying prayers of God, would you, to saying, God, do whatever you want. My life is yours. I think we would start to see our dreams develop in a way that God will actually be sustainable down the road. I'm going to get more to more of that more in a minute. But So be planted. Whether that's here at Lydia House in Communitas, whether that's in a local church somewhere, wherever it is, plant yourself and plan to stay. What would happen? I mean, I, 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 so I work over the river there at the University of Northwestern, and I often ask what would happen if all 1,600 of our students over there were planted in local churches in the, in the Twin Cities. Just Northwestern. What would happen if 1,600 students were planted and serving their guts out in the local church for 10 years? Not just for six months, for 10 years, right? I think we're missing with, and I love mega churches. I, I love church growth. I love church planting. That's a wonderful, wonderful movement. But what would happen if we had an army of Christians who just stayed in the same place, who waited, right? I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to serve this church, and this church is going to fail me. Some of you, your first time at Communitas, maybe you'll come back, maybe you won't. But if you come back, maybe you're having a really good experience right now. Come back often enough, and this place will fail you. Find a church. You go to a church for a couple months, and it's a wonderful church. Come back long enough. And after a couple months or a couple of years, that church will fail you. The leadership will fail you. The elders will fail you. Your, 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 co, your co-laborers, your co-workers, they, they'll fail you. You know why? Because we fail. And we're human and we have sin. And so often we let those failures make us uproot ourselves because of offense, because of anger, and move ourselves and then plot back down in somewhere until that place then fails us. And then uproot ourselves, move to the next place, plant myself. As you know, an uprooted plant doesn't have any roots. It has to constantly start over. So I want to ask you tonight, if, if, you, if you, this is you, if you're saying, man, I, I've been intoxicated by my dreams. And again, he, you hear me, right? Dreams are good. Like I pray that God gives you dreams and visions. I pray that he does. Just know that a dream and a vision, even tonight, does not mean that that dream is coming to fruition tomorrow. For Moses, it was 40 years in the desert. 40 years in the desert. Dude was like 80 when God finally started to move through him. Are you, are you okay with that? Like if you didn't realize the dream God has given you until you were 80 years old, are you cool with that? I don't know that I am, and that bugs me, right? But that's the kind of patience we're talking about, right? The kind of endurance, the kind of waiting and staying and tarrying, right? That's what God does. So again, love a fresh new thing. I think God does fresh new things. Like God, I think God moves in power. And I also think he moves in the mundane, I think he moves in the faithfulness of life. So we become intoxicated. Number two, we become idealistic. Like if I could just get here, things would start going better for me. If I could just get that job, or if I could just realize the dream God has for me, like life would go, if I could just get that spouse, if I could just get that wife, if I could just get that husband, if I could just get that house, if I could just get that ministry job, if I could just get that promotion, if I could just have my boss see me or understand me, things would be better. And I think... Well, I know that what this is wrapped up in is a misunderstanding of what actually is going to make us happy and joyful. Because what this is, we're basing everything in our lives off of circumstantial things, right? So if only this were different, if only that were different, what we're doing is we're assuming that the problem in our lives, the biggest problem is somewhere out here. Like my biggest problem is my boss. My biggest problem is my wife. My biggest problem is my job. My biggest problem is that, this or the other thing. And you might have some problems with those. Are people problems in our lives? Yeah, absolutely. Your boss might be a jerk. You may have a terrible job. 
you, you may be owed a promotion that you just didn't get, right? That may be reality. You may have a terrible husband. You may have a terrible wife. I don't know. But let me, I'll tell you this. What I do know is that your biggest problem and my biggest problem is not somewhere outside yourself. Your biggest problem is you. My biggest problem is me. You know why? Because everywhere I go, there I am. Like, I follow me everywhere. Have you noticed that? Like, like, like wherever you go, that's where you are. And maybe some of you have been w moving up from place to place or job to job or relationship to relationship, and you're like, why do things keep going wrong? It's you, <laughs> right? And of course, hear my heart on this, okay? There, there are circumstantial things that go wrong. Sometimes you are the victim. Sometimes things just go wrong. But, but hear me, if we would focus in on what God wants to do in us, I believe that God's going to take care of the circumstantial things. And even if he doesn't, our heart will be changed in how we perceive those and receive those. Even if he does, I, lo I love this idea of the three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, Nebuchadnezzar said, I, unless you bow down, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And they said, look, we're not going to bow down. Our God is strong enough to save. And even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. And that would be a generation of people that, that has the heart cultivated to a place of saying, God, I pray that you change my circumstances. And even if you don't, okay, I'm still going to follow you. I'm still going to believe, right? So maybe you may, maybe would come to me and say, I, I mentor a lot of people, a lot of guys over at Northwestern, and someone will come to say, man, I hate my job. And I say, good. Praise God that you hate your job. Some of you are like, why would anyone want to be mentored by you ever? <laughs> let me tell you why. Let me, let me tell you why. If you work in a terrible job with a terrible boss, you are in a position for God to do so much in your life right now. You are. You're actually much better set for God to do a work in your life than somebody, than somebody that loves their job. Do you realize that? Because kind of pain and discomfort and tension has a way of getting our attention and allowing God access. C.S. Lewis said pain is like God's megaphone to rouse a deaf and dumb world. Like it gets our attention, right? When things are going wrong, we're like, what is going, this, this is terrible. When things are going pretty well, I like to, I, I feel pretty good about myself. I pr feel pretty good about God. But when things are, are hard, man, you are prime position for God to do something in your life. So if you hate your job, praise God, man. <laughs> praise God, because God is going to do something in you. And even if he, you're in that job for the next 10 years, right? Don't focus on, I hate my job. Focus on God. What are you doing? So instead of being idealistic, what I want to ask you to do, the P word, is establish healthy patterns of faithfulness in your life. Establish healthy, healthy patterns of faithfulness in your life. See, my fear is sometimes in, in our world, in our Christian world today, again, I talked about the American dream that we just kind of put a Christian spin on that, right? And we are, we're so in search of a fruitful ministry, right? We want to see the fruit. And we want to see fruit in their lives. I want to see fruit in my life. I want to see people come to know Christ. I want to see, see people saved. I love to preach the word. It's one of my favorite things to do. I just love doing this. I, I love when there's fruit that comes from it. But here's the deal. Faithfulness is so much better than fruitfulness. Faithfulness is so much better and more important than fruitfulness. And I think we miss this often in the Bible. I, I know we as charismatics and as Christians love like the call of Isaiah in chapter 6. And we probably have like a coffee cup of summer of that in your, in, your, in, your, in, your, in your world somewhere. Like, here I am, Lord, send me. We love that, right? In fact, I'm going to turn there right now. I didn't plan to do this. But, you know, we see this. We, we kind of get a glimpse of this, this picture of the throne, Right? And of God basically saying, talking amongst himself, saying, you know, who, who are we going to send? Like, who is there? And Isaiah steps up, takes, takes some, some, yeah, some courage to step up in that setting, right? 
um, Isaiah 6, 8 says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for me? Then I, Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And we love that, don't we? Like we, we, we take that and we hold on to it, we grasp it, we say, yeah, here I am, Lord, send me. But does any one of us really want the call of Isaiah in our lives? Have you ever thought to, to like look at what his call was? It's just a couple of verses later, but here's what it says, right? This is what God says. Okay, go and say this to the people. Keep on hearing me, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Isaiah, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Do you understand what the call of Isaiah is here? Go and preach the word to a people that will never hear you. Go and deliver my word to a people whose hearts are going to be hardened upon your preaching to them. Not a very fruitful ministry at all, but a faithful one? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? So, are you called to a fruitful ministry? Yes. What does that fruit look like? looks like faithfulness. The fruit of your ministry looks like faithfulness. It might not look like thousands being saved. It might not look like tens being saved. But what it does look like, friends, is faithfulness to God's call on your life. So don't get intoxicated by fruitfulness. This idea of bigger is better. Bigger is good. Bigger is not bad, but bigger is not better. Right? Faithfulness. I read a book by one of my favorite pastors. He, he talked about, like, what, what's, what's life going to be like in glory? You know, when we get to heaven, what's life going to be like? And we're going to walk around and see all the heroes of the faith, and they're going to be shining brighter than the sun. And we're going to come to this one guy, and he's going to be like, whoa, that guy is lit up. Who is he? I don't remember, like, his name and attached to the mega churches. I don't remember, like, what he was really doing. And come to find out, he, w- he was the guy preaching the gospel to his church of 10 people week in and week out in rural South Dakota. Week in and week out, church of 10 people preaching the gospel. That is faithful gospel ministry. So what are you called to? Are you called to fruitfulness? Yes. What does that look like? It looks like faithfulness. So set your heart on patterns of faithfulness in your life. And here's the deal. You're going to feel hidden when you do that. You're going to feel like God doesn't see you. There's going to be times in your life where you're like, what am I even doing? Does God even notice me? Does God even with me anymore? I remember early on in my life, I, I, had, I was intoxicated with ministry and I wanted to be in ministry and I was working for Caribou Coffee. I think I've told the story here before. Yes, amen, right? Coffee. Christian, <laughs> Christian drug of choice. If it talks about anything, it's by coffee, anyway. Um, and so I remember wanting to be in ministry, and I was kind of had this idealistic view of ministry, and I thought, I thought ministry would basically solve everything for me. And here's the deal, man. Promotion, ministry, marriage, anything you're going to is not going to make your character better. It's going to reveal what's already there. Or my pastor says that all the time. I believe that with my whole heart. Your dream, if you achieve it, you're not going to all of a sudden have better character or have better integrity right? It's going to reveal what's already in your heart, whether for, for better or for worse. But so I had this idolatry of ministry and I was chasing ministry. I, and I remember it clear as it was yesterday. Um, I, w- I was supposed to go to this conference planning thing over at Redeeming Love Church. And um, I was the manager of this Caribou Coffee and I was supposed to get off shift, but there, we had a rush come in. So I stayed on the floor with my team and got us through the rush. And then I was already an hour late for the meeting, but I wanted to go anyway. And somebody came up and said, hey, somebody puked in your bathroom. And I had a choice to make at that point. By the grace of God, I said, okay, I'm the manager. I'm not going to send one of my people to go clean this up. I'll go clean this up. I don't know why I said that. It was just literally the grace of God. Um, but I, I have a vivid memory of being on my hands and knees at the bathroom at Caribou, right up here, right over here by, by Brugger's, when my heart 
wanted to be in this ministry planning meeting, but God had me on my hands and my knees cleaning up puke in the caribou bathroom. Patterns of faithfulness. Patterns of faithfulness. What what does a pattern of faithfulness look like for you? How many of you know that you don't just get up tomorrow and run a marathon? Right? Paul's run marathons before, right? You don't just get up get up one day, I'm gonna run a marathon today, right? You develop patterns of faithfulness. You run one mile and then two miles, and then three, four, five, six. A marathon is 26.2 miles. You don't just start with 26.2. You develop a pattern of faithfulness in your life, commitment, a pattern of faithfulness, right? We see this also with, with, uh, with Moses and Joseph, as I talked about, patterns of faithfulness. They were intoxicated with their dream, and God basically forced them into patterns of faithfulness. Moses, 40 years in the desert, right? Joseph ended up in prison, so we can either submit ourselves to patterns of faithfulness or be forced there by God. It's really kind of up to us, <laughs> right? God says in his word, humble yourself and I will draw near to you, right? But if there's no humbling by ourselves, make no doubt about it, friends. God will humble us. He will. And God help us if we ever get to a point where God has to humble us and it comes through the collapse of a ministry, the collapse of a marriage, the collapse of a family. Humble yourself now. Commit yourself to patterns of faithfulness now. I don't know what this looks like for you. For some of you, it literally means I'm going to read my Bible 10 minutes a day for the next year. I mean, it's that simple. It's that simple. Start somewhere that is really, really, really simple. It takes humility and it takes teachability. Okay. So number two. Number three, I fear that we become isolated. This is part of being planted. This is part of developing patterns. My pastor talks a lot about this idea, and I really agree with this idea of an internal call and an external call. I I call it the American Idol Syndrome, right? So there's so many people out there like, I want to sing, right? You think you're a good singer. Your mom thinks you're a good singer, but nobody else thinks you're a good singer. But darn it, I'm going to sing anyway, right? How how else can we explain these terrible, terrible tryouts at American Idol that end up on national TV? Other than people who think they're called to sing when it's pretty clear that they're not called to sing, right? They have this internal call to sing. This is why I'm called to this. And many of you feel like I'm called to this. I'm called to that. I'm called to business. I'm called to ministry. I mean, whatever it is, whatever you're called to, I want to encourage you that it, does your internal call line up with your external call? And what I mean my external call is this. Are there people in your life that say, yes, this is what you're called to? I, knowing you, knowing your personality, knowing your gift mix, yes, I can affirm that this is what you're called to. And I don't mean people who are like going to say yes to everything because they're just scared to say no to anything. This is where being isolated, if we're just making decisions in our own head, in our own world, we're going to make terrible decisions. I make terrible decisions by myself. I don't know about you. Like I think some stuff is good and I'm like, wow, that was a really bad choice. But when we're in community, and the P word for this is we become isolated, we need to gain perspective. We become isolated, we need to gain perspective on ourselves. We need to kind of get rid of this idea that nobody knows us better than ourselves. It's just not true. I have, I have tons of blind spots that I don't see. I need people around me that can see my blind spots, right? I need people around me that can call out my sin. I need people around me who aren't fans of me, right? But they're my friends. So don't surround yourself with fans, people who just adore you and worship you. Surround yourself with truth tellers. People who are going to be around you that will tell you the truth about yourself, that will tell you, hey, I know that you feel called to this. I just don't see it. You can have an actual real dialogue. This part of this is, again, go back to the top. Being planted in the local church is a really good way to not be isolated, but to surround yourself with truth-tellers. Putting yourself under authority. Okay, this is what you're called to. 
okay, let, let's, let's vet this out. Let's talk about it. Let's pray this out. Let's talk about what it takes to get there, right? Having an idealistic vision of what something is, we think that we're called to it and we have really have no idea what it takes to get there, right? So you see all, all these three things work together. Along with being isolated, my fear is that we focus inward instead of outward. I love the story of Joseph in Genesis 40. And I'll kind of end with this as we kind of go into a ministry time. I'm in Genesis chapter 40. Joseph is basically at, at the lowest of the low, right? So he's had this dream. Okay, this is what God is calling me to do. Bro- brothers, you're going to bow down to me. God told me, so it's going to happen. And what do the brothers do? They sell him into slavery, right? So he goes into slavery. Um, the, the, the wife of his slave master accuses him of, of rape. He gets sent to prison, right? So he's in prison, basically the lowest of the low. He has some authority in the prison, but basically he's, he's, he's living in prison um, when God has given him this dream, right? And so I know many of you probably even feel like you're in that place tonight. God has given me this dream, but I feel like I'm in prison. God has given me something that he wants to do in my life, but I feel like he doesn't see me. Listen, trust me, God knows exactly where to find you. Like you're not lost to him. You realize that? So you look at, look at David, right? So when, when God calls David to be the king of Israel, the prophet Samuel walks into David's house and tells his dad, he said, Jesse, bring me all your sons because our next king is among them. So Jesse literally brings in every single son except for David who's still in the field. And Samuel looks at all and says, nope, 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 nope. Where's your other son? He's in the field. Bring him here. David was not lost in the field. Do you realize that? God knew exactly where to find him, exactly where to find him at the, exactly the right time. Look at, you look at Moses, 40 years in the backside of the desert, right? 40 years in the backside of the desert. Did God know where to find him? Did Moses even have to do anything? No, God just showed up in a burning bush. And all, all Moses had to do was turn aside, right? There's a burning bush there. I should go look at that, <laughs> right? Like, like God showed up. So like Moses wasn't lost, right? David wasn't lost. He knew exactly where they, they were, right? But when their character was at a place that could handle the anointing and calling on their life, God found them. Joseph was in prison. Was Joseph lost? And I love how Joseph actually kind of gets found. I love this. In 40, chapter 40, verse 6, um, there's two guys, a cupbearer and a baker. They have a dream. They're kind of unsettled by that. And verse 6, Joseph came to them in the morning and he saw that they were troubled. I love this. You got to catch this. It's, it's kind, of, kind of hidden in the text, but Joseph saw. What does it mean to see? Because what happens is when we feel like we're hidden is we start to kind of draw inward. We kind of play the victim like, oh, God doesn't see me. Oh, woe is me. Oh, why, why did good, bad things happen to good people? We get all dramatic, right? And what Joseph was doing, he was actually like, no. He wasn't, he wasn't throwing a pity party. He wasn't playing the victim. He actually noticed when somebody else was in distress. His eyes were focused outwards, right? And so he said, hey guys, what's going on? They tell him their dreams. He interprets their dreams. It actually, the very sequence of events that leads to Joseph becoming second in command of, in all of Egypt, right? So God knows where to find you. He knows exactly where you are. You're not lost to him, right? And this is why I said at the beginning of our time together that any sort of impatience or any sort of like, oh, I just need to do this now, doesn't God know, is, is simply a mistrust or a misplaced trust in God that he sees you and knows you and that he knows what he's doing. He does. He knows what he's doing. We don't have to kick down any doors. We don't have to, we don't have to pray harder, right? We don't have to, to check off things off our checklist. Like God knows where you are. He knows what he's doing. He is so exceedingly patient with us and towards us. And he wants to birth that in us as well. Listen, you may achieve your dream tomorrow. It may be in 40 years. 
right? I look at the, the calling of Moses. You know, God said, Moses, you're going to lead my people to the promised land, right? And what happened? He led them grumbling around in the desert for years and years and years because people were different back then, right? <laughs> right? No. He led them grumbling around in the desert. And then just when they got to the mountaintop, God says, look, there's the promised land. Moses, Joshua's going to take him. Joshua's going to take him. And Moses died right then and right there without being taken into the promised land. And so I don't know what your dreams are, but I would love to get to a place in my life in patience and endurance and waiting where if God decides at the end of my life to say, you know what? Your son is going to take him in. Or this person that you've raised up and, 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 and just built up in ministry and sown into and loved and discipled, they're going to take him and you're coming with me. I want to be the kind of person that says, okay, because I'm intoxicated by God alone because I've developed patterns of faithfulness that have basically rooted out all idolatry in my life that have basically caused me in faith to trust that God does know what he's doing and I don't. So I want to leave you with that tonight. I'm going to ask Andy to come on back up and, and we're going to kind of go back into some worship. I do want to do a little bit of ministry here because I do think... Um, I do want to make sure that we're not, that I'm not causing any shame here tonight, that I'm not causing any guilt. If, if any of you're struggling with any of this, if you're saying, yeah, I, I think I'm intoxicated by something that, um, that is not God himself. I think I'm chasing something that I know that, I, that God is wait, asking me to wait in. If you're saying tonight, man, I have a lot of unhealthy patterns in my life. Maybe you're saying, man, I feel so isolated right now. Um, I just believe tonight um, that God is going to move you into a step in the right direction. I'm not saying that God is going to miraculously, boom, tonight, change everything. He could, and we want to pray in that way, but I, I believe that God is calling you to small steps of obedience here tonight. So maybe changing your perspective of your job, maybe changing the perspective of your ministry, maybe changing the perspective of your relationship or your marriage, whatever it may be. I believe that God, via His Holy Spirit, wants to do that in us and through us tonight. So I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes with me real quick. God, thank you that you are indeed a, a patient God. Um, as we see in your word, God, that, that you are long-suffering, that you are steadfast, that you um, bear with us in our sin, that you bear with us um, in our stubbornness, in our unfaithfulness, in our impatience. Um, thank you that, that you draw near to us. God, that... Um, you love us just the same, which is perfectly. So I want to pray for those right now who even are, are seeing patterns in their lives or are knowing that they need to make a change. God, I, I pray that you wouldn't bring any sort of, uh, or I pray that there wouldn't be any sort of shame or guilt or condemnation, but God, that you would bring conviction, and with conviction, you would bring hope and restoration. God, thank you that whenever you show up and you convict us of sin, that you do move us closer to yourself, that there is hope there. There is mercy there. There is grace there. So thank you that you are with us. Thank you that we don't have to rely on our own ability to be patient, our own ability to stay and wait, but that you are doing it in us. So let's just take about three or four minutes here, and I just want to give you some time with the Lord. Just ask him, God, what do you have here for me? Maybe something really, really small, maybe something kind of big. I don't know, but he does.
some people here uh, tonight where you're, you feel caught in that place of mundanity and repetition and that uh, it's hard for you to believe that God sees you it's hard for you to know that God is with you maybe you have dreams maybe you don't have dreams maybe you don't even know what they should be but you just know that there's, there's more to what you're experiencing um, I just want to encourage you that if that more does not necessarily mean a different circumstance, but that more means a deeper understanding of who God is in your life. So that's you. If, if, you, if you're here tonight and you, and you identify with this idea of, man, my life seems so mundane and boring. I want to ask you to, go to, to put your hand up in the air. And there's no shame. This is not confession. We're not going to make you stand up and talk about why, but we do want to pray with you. If that's you, if you're just saying, man, God, I want to be faithful in the small things. I want you to do a work in my life that only you can do because I'm being faithful. Go ahead and just put your hand right up in the air, way up in the air. We want to pray for you. Ask that God will come and do a work in your life. If you see somebody with a hand up, go ahead and just, just put a hand on their shoulder. Join in with them. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and just pray wherever you're at. Go out and lead out and pray. See a hand back there. Levi back there so we can head back there and pray. Go ahead and just pray right where you are right now.
the power.